Good morning, my friends. I'm Pastor Stephen Brooks. Welcome today to Morning Glory, our midweek Bible study. Today, let's talk about the subject of where should we live while we are on the earth. Perhaps you're thinking about moving, or maybe you're in a good place and you're still contemplating Texas, New Mexico, North Carolina, California, Singapore, Japan, Nigeria. Pastor Stephen, where should I live while I am on the earth? Today, we will jump into that. I want to give you four keys that will help you to unlock knowing exactly where you're supposed to live. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we jump into your word, we ask that your Holy Spirit would illuminate the scriptures so that we can see them with our spiritual eyes, hear them with our spiritual ears, take it and put it to practice. And we thank you that your word is a seed. Father, let it produce the 100-fold return in our lives, a harvest from your word. We thank you. We thank you for your word and the mighty harvest. In Jesus' name, we agree and say amen. Praise God. Ephesians chapter 2. Let's drop down to verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Now, verse 6. And raised us up together, and made us sit together in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Now, God has already done something. This is something that he's not waiting to do or will do one day in the so-called future. This is something that he, was, he has already done. And it took place when he lifted Christ up from the dead and raised him and seated him on high. When God, the Father, lifted up his Son, we were in Christ. In the mind of God, we were in Christ. And God already knew those who would come to know him, uh, and he knows those that still in the future and the years and days ahead will come to know him. And in his mind, he saw us in Christ. So when there was the lifting up of Jesus, some theologians say there was the lifting up of the mystical body of Christ. But I don't want to just keep this over in a realm of this is some kind of a spiritual lifting. This is a very real lifting that applies to you and I right where we're at today. For example, you may be listening to me in a seated position. Perhaps you're in your car and you're playing this message back on a social media platform and you're listening to me talking to you while you're sitting down. Or you might be doing something else in the house. You could be standing up. But let's say you're sitting. While you are sitting down, perhaps in a car seat, or on a couch, or, or a recliner, or some form of a chair, you have to realize also, at the very same time, there is a spiritual reality that affects your natural, physical reality of the world that you live in right here and now. And it's very important for you to understand where your residence is at in the spiritual realm, because that will make everything solid and stable concerning where you live and how you live on the earth in the natural. Now, again, verse 6, it tells us that God raised us up together and made us. Notice that he's raised 
past tense, something he's already done, raised us up together and made us sit together where? In the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Verse 7 unveils the purpose for it, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Now, a lot of evangelical pastors love Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, but when it comes to the reality of verse 6, they are a little bit, um, how can I say, I don't want to use the word afraid, but that's just something that they don't talk about, and they prefer to say that's dealing uh, or referring to some future date where anybody can read that and understand that it's talking about a past event, something that has already been accomplished and done. Now, of course, who wouldn't love verse 8? For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. So any good evangelical preacher can grab verse 8 and preach on that all day long. We'll all shout and holler amen to that. But I think we should shout and holler amen to verse 6 as well. God raised us up together and made us sit together, made us sit together where? In the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Praise the Lord. Now, I would like to say, first of all, of the four keys I'm going to share, that the first key of where you should live while on the earth is that you should live in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6. Woo! Glory to God. You should live seated in the heavenly realm. I know what you're thinking. Oh, Pastor Stephen, I, I thought you were going to tell me what state and city I'm supposed to be living in. I, Well, look, when you know where you're living at spiritually and you're in that high place, then you have the strategic advantage of seeing things much more clearly. Anytime in warfare, in modern warfare, you want to get the higher ground. Even in uh, back in uh, before we had airplanes and things like that, even back in the Civil War and uh, you know the American Revolutionary War, you wanted to get the high ground. And at that point, it would be the highest hill because if you can get your cannons up on the hill, <laughs> you can shoot, and your your trajectory goes a whole lot further. And if they're down at the bottom and they're trying to shoot up to you, they're very very limited in what they can do. So in modern-day warfare, a lot of it's going to come down to the Air Force and getting what they call air superiority. I want you to know that in Christ, you already have that. Jesus has accomplished that for, for us. Now, I do understand the reality of principalities and powers and the rulers of the darkness of this world and the wicked spirits in high places. We're, for, we're familiar with Ephesians chapter 6, and I know that the headquartered realm of the prince of the power of the air is up in the upper atmospheres, up there where the planes fly. They have, you can't see them unless the Holy Spirit allows you to see it. But there literally are fortresses and, and strongholds, and it's where the enemy has strategic meetings and plots to rules nations and to govern the world the, the way that the enemy would like to see things go. And uh, th there is that reality. But you have to understand that still, although they have these uh, strategic places in the upper atmosphere still in Christ, you're still way above that. <laughs> oh, glory to God. Amen. So understanding that you're seated with Christ in the heavenly realms, which is the highest place, helps you to make much better decisions in life 
and it helps you to begin to govern your life from a heavenly perspective. Now, one time, years back, the first country that I ever ministered in outside of America was Uganda. And so my wife and I went to Uganda, and when we went, I uh, I took a lot of clothing. I, I took almost every pair of suits that I had. I just grabbed all these suits that where I could wear a different suit, different day, and stuff like that. We we were ministering all the time, three times a day, morning, noon, night, and then different places and stuff like that. But I was ministering primarily in one local church, and the pastor had invited me over there, and he and I hit it off really well. And things were going really well. And I gave him one of my best suits. And you know what? It fit him to a T. Now, for those of you that know the Ugandans, they can be a little little more uh, fuller in size. Uh, the the uh, Kenya, the next door neighbor, everybody's kind of skinny like me. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> but in Uganda, the men are they're a little bit larger. But I had a suit that, that was just a little bit too big for me. And I gave it to him and it fit him perfectly and he looked so handsome in it that brand new tie and uh just i mean when we went to his church together and the the church saw him and the church had maybe 400 people and they saw their pastor and they just thought oh he looks so handsome and dignified and he looks so wonderful and this was a church that did not really have the revelation of prosperity they knew it was something that god wanted them to step into they they just didn't know how to get there and so you know, nobody in the church had a, had a car. The pastor didn't have a car. None of the people in the church had a car except for one person. And the only reason he had one was because he was a police officer. So, you know, I went there and I'm teaching and I'm ministering and I'm putting the word into them because the word of God brings strength. It brings light. It brings clearness concerning God's will and path for your life. And so, uh, one night I was supposed to minister and, uh, but before I was going to minister, the pastor said, he said, pastor Stephen, um, there's a local missionary and, uh, he's helped me out a lot. And so he's going to come visit tonight. He's going to come visit the meeting. And so I told him I'd let him stand up and say a few things. And I thought, well, yeah, sure. Yeah. If you know him and that, that, that's totally fine. I mean, you're the pastor. If you want to do that, that's totally cool. And, uh, but it wasn't it wasn't good this this guest missionary was a very controlling domineering uh type man and i got to know him a little bit and uh he was an englishman actually and he was over there trying to establish uh, a ministry and really the only reason he had a ministry was he was giving out free food stuff like that and i as far as his his personal ministry he was real hard real rough with the people and didn't really show love to them and uh, i i didn't I didn't connect with him at all anyhow so uh he's going to be given about 10 minutes to share whatever he's going to share and so the pastor hands him the microphone and he goes up there now let me say this there was a platform where the speakers and the pastor sat i was sitting up there and then there's the audience but uh out there in the audience there was not a wooden floor or anything like that now on the platform we had like a stage type floor but out in the uh audience there was it was a dirt floor and you know you had a tin roof and uh but there was it was just a dirt floor so this uh, so-called missionary, uh, who was an older man, kind of like a bully. He had the microphone 
And he said, I want to teach a lesson. It's only going to take about 10 minutes, but I need, I need two men to volunteer. And he said, you and you. And he, he, met, he pointed to the pastor, the senior pastor, and he pointed to somebody else in the church that was maybe a deacon or somebody like that. He says, you two, you two help me out. And he said, now, in order to uh, share this little uh, object lesson, I need, I need you to both kind of help act this out for me. He said, so he said to the deacon, you stand there. And he said to the pastor, now, you sit on the ground. You sit on the floor. Cross your legs and sit on the floor which meant sit in the dirt and you could see the look on the reaction of the faces of the, of the, of the church. Oh, don't, don't, don't do that to our pastor. And you know what he did? Like a little puppy as a full, now he's a full grown man buried in kids and stuff like that. As a full grown man, as a, as a mighty man of God, he gave in and sat down on the dirt and it made me, made, made, the, it made me so angry. And I knew it was a righteous anger that this idiot would do that to a man of God. And I could tell he was also doing it on purpose. He was jealous and mad that he had a new suit and it, that irritated him. So he, for his object lesson, which was some kind of some stupid lesson, I can't even remember, didn't he make any sense? He had to have him sit in the dirt. And um, after the, you know, he, so he does his little thing, then he's all done. He had his 10 minutes of fame and he's done and he leaves. <laughs> I'm glad. Now, um, after the service, I spoke with the pastor one-on-one in private. I said, hey, why did you sit in the dirt? Why did you let him do that to you? You could have said, no, I'm not going to sit in the dirt. I said, why did you Why did you let him humiliate you like that? He goes, oh, he said, I hated it. Pastor Stephen just sitting there in the dirt while he does his stupid little speech. But he said, he lets me use his generator. And without the generator, we, I can't do my meetings. We won't have any electricity. The lights that are running right now and the sound system's all running off that generator. I said, so you're willing to sit in the dirt and be degraded and humiliated just so that you can uh, have a generator free for the night? And he goes, well, what am I supposed to do? And so these are situations we're dealing with when people don't know who they really are, when they don't know that you're seated with Christ in the heavenly realms and you're seated with Christ. You're not seated in the mud. God doesn't do stuff like that to you. And you have to know who you are. And if somebody tries to push you across a line that crosses the line of biblical standard, you have to be willing to say, no, um, I'm not going along with that. Don't want to embarrass you, but no, we're not doing that. I'm not going to do that. Don't want to rest, mess up your store or whatever. My, see, you have to know these things. And if you know where you're seated at and who you're seated with, there's a lot of things you just say no to, no to. Mm-mm. Well, but then you get back to the question, but well, what are we going to do if we don't have a generator? Well, then we're going to talk about that. And you're going to find out that when you know where you're seated at, where your residence is, that things begin to turn in your life. Because in that heavenly realm, the illumination of God's wisdom begins to reveal covenant solutions to your problems. And when you get covenant solutions, you are, you are relieved because you're finally, you're finally understanding that, hey, you don't have to pull gimmicks. You don't have to degrade yourself. You don't have to lie. You don't have to compromise. You don't have to do any of that stuff. God's kingdom and God's wisdom is based on eternal principles. And when you know them and operate them, you start going up. 
And your going up is not determined by who you know, who you don't know, uh, what, what college did you go to, or did you not make it, or, or this or that. All of those things get overridden by a higher chair, by a higher authority. Woo! Praise the Lord. So the illumination of God's wisdom reveals covenant solutions to the different problems that we face in life. But I would say, first of all, where should I live on planet earth? While you're here on planet earth, you should live in Ephesians chapter two, verse six. And when you do that, you'll never be sitting in the dirt and you'll never let the devil humiliate you another day in your life. Praise God. And if you have to, you say, take your stupid generator and we'll have a meeting over here in the dark, but I'm not sitting in the dirt ever again. Woo! Praise God. <laughs> and thank God there have been many African ministers that have risen up with that very uh, strong, bold faith attitude that says, hey, we're not looking for a handout. We, we are people that have learned the covenant, and the covenant is working for us. And we're, we're fed up with this degrading ourselves just so we can have a bologna sandwich. You know, we're not going to do that stuff anymore. Not only are we not going to do it, we don't have to do it anymore. Woo, praise God. I see your destiny being rich, one of being lifted up, and one of walking in honor and dignity. Praise God. And much of it begins of knowing where your residence is. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Now, let's go to Ephesians chapter 1. Let's back up just a little bit and look at verse 17. This is a prayer of the Apostle Paul, and it says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Jesus. So we have the spirit of wisdom and then also revelation. Revelation, basically that word in the Greek means to take a curtain and pull it back, and you can see what's behind the curtain. Uh, so in a sense, it's like insight. It's the ability to see. Now you may say to yourself, well, that's the first time I've ever seen that, but you have to also realize it's actually been there the whole time. The laws of aerodynamics, although they have only been unraveled within the last 140 years, they have been in existence ever since God created the earth. Now, it, as we could say, it's taken over 5,000 years to figure out many of these basic laws, but we're making good progress now, now that we have got the, you know, the primary laws understood to a, a good degree, praise God, and we can make them work for us, praise the Lord. So there is the spirit of wisdom and revelation or the insight in the knowledge of what? In the knowledge of him, or in other words, the knowledge of Jesus. So this wisdom and this knowledge in Jesus begins to give you the help that you need because it's knowledge in him, knowledge of him. Not like, oh, oh, I have the knowledge of God. Oh, I just love the Lord. Well, yes, but that's, that's more than just he, the person. It's also his commandments. It's his principles. It's his instructions. It's his word. Woo! It's what he tells you to do. It's what he tells you not to do. And you delight in those things. <laughs> so it's not just some kind of like, you know, like mystical knowledge of God. No, it's the knowledge of God as revealed and expressed through his word. And of course, experience lines up with the word. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Now, 
I want us to see something that as we quickly work our way through this prayer, verse 18, the eyes of your understanding be being enlightened or flooded with light, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power. Now we're moving into verse 20 and 21 which takes us to the second key, which will uh, be the second key that identifies your residence or where you're supposed to live while you're on the earth. Oh, Pastor Stephen, these things, they're just too mystical. I'm just going to wait to get to heaven when um, I step into this. Well, uh, Jesus has already established it for you now. You're supposed to be living in it now. Now, what I'm teaching are truths that could be considered third Reformation truths because you know, we had the Second Reformation back in the 1500s, Martin Luther saying, the just shall live by faith. Uh, you're never going to make it on your works alone. It's not like, hey, let's crawl on our knuckles and hands and uh, let's do some more penance. And then finally, when we've done enough of this, God will say, okay, now you're, you're good enough to come in. No, it's never going to work like that. You're not saved by your works. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> not only that, you can never do enough anyhow. But we're saved by grace through faith. Now, that was a reformation idea. It was bringing us back, reforming us back to uh, the standards, the truths established in the early church. But you need to understand, my friends, that what we're talking about here in, in verse 8, by grace you have been saved through faith. Hey, the church has got that down really good. Uh, and that of not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Oh, the, you, I could go into any church, Presbyterian, Anglican, uh, Baptist, uh, you know, uh, it doesn't really matter. They're going to say, oh, yeah, we totally agree with verse 8. But, you know, if you look at verse 6 of Ephesians 2, they're like, well, well, we, we don't know. Well, many of us do. It is something that we're supposed to be experiencing now. And so we're back now in Ephesians 1 verse 20. Now, this is uh, talking about that mighty power which he worked in Christ. When he raised him from the dead, he's, he's not going to raise Jesus. He's already raised Jesus from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Oh, but Pastor Stephen, now that's talking about Jesus. That's not talking about us. But don't you understand that God's about to tell you through his word that when he raised Christ, he raised us up with him. Woo! Look, you don't have to understand it all. All you have to do is just believe it. <laughs> just say, well, Lord, there is a lot of, uh, uh, maybe we could say mystery to it, but nevertheless, Father, we know you lifted up Jesus, and we know that you said that when you lifted him up, that we were in him, and you've lifted us up as well. So you have to understand that your number two place of residence, according to uh, Ephesians 1 verse 20 is the heavenly realms, but I'm not going to stop just there. Verse 21, far above all principality and power, might and dominion. So I want you to understand that your residence here on the earth is, uh, number one, with Christ in the heavenly realms. Number two, in the heavenly realms far above. You're looking for your address. You're looking for your residence. It's way, way up there. Oh, but Pastor Stephen, the devil's got a stronghold up there. Oh, let's go way, way on past that, though. Way past it. Above all, 
above all what? Principality and power and might and dominion. And look, all of these wicked evil spirits and Satan and all the junk that they release and inflict upon the human race of poverty and lack and insufficiency and fear and murder and drug usage and alcohol abuse and worry and uh, uh, panic and uh, wars and horrible things that happen to people. Look, you're seated far above it in Christ. Glory to God. Hallelujah. And when you walk with the Lord, the enemy does not have authority over your life. He can't just rush into your life and put it on you. He can only come in with an open door. But I know I'm speaking to those that keep the door closed. Hallelujah. That stay in their place. And you're above all that junk. Hallelujah. And if the devil tries to show up knocking on your door with his goods and you open the door and see there's the devil, well, just slam it in his face and say, oh, no, 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 he's not welcome here in my house. He's not welcome in my body. He's not welcome in my mind. He's not welcome in my life. Praise the Lord. And by doing such things, you maintain your residence that Christ has established for you far above, far above the enemy. Glory to God. Now, verse 22, and he, that would be God, put all things under his feet. Well, see, Pastor Stephen, again, God only put it under Jesus' feet. But don't you understand that you are his feet? You are his hands? See, Christ is the head of the church. Christ is the body. And if you take the head off the body and set the head over here by itself, what in the world is the head going to do by itself? It can't pick anything up. Even if the head says, I'm hungry and I'd like some food. (laughs) How's the head going to feed itself without arms and fingers? How's it going to happen? It's not going to happen. The head may say, "I, I would like to go somewhere today. I would like to accomplish and get something done today. How's it going to do it without feet and without legs, don't you understand that you are the feet, the hands, the arms, the legs. You are the body of Christ. And you you have been raised up with Christ far above all the junk of the enemy. Praise God. And he has put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Praise the Lord. He's put all things under his feet. If they're under the Lord's feet, they're under your feet because you're in him. Mm, Praise God. Look, I'm just teaching from the New Testament. This is New Testament theology. (laughs) There's a lot of people that don't believe it, and they're defeated. You have what you believe. Praise God. Praise the Lord. And these, these are things that we are identifying as our residence while we're here on the earth. Wow, praise God. Oh, Pastor Stephen, one day we'll get to heaven and we'll be seated with Christ. You're seated with Christ right now. And you're supposed to get ready for this one. You're supposed to be co-ruling and co-reigning with him. See, somehow the church has this idea of pushing everything off into the millennium. Now, the word millennium is a Latin word. It means a thousand. And so it's referring to the 1,000-year reign of Christ. We see a lot of examples about that in the Bible, particularly in the Old Testament. Also, of course, in the book of Revelation, the revelation of Jesus Christ. But my friends, this is now. This is all. This was all done when, when the Father lifted Jesus up. 
This was all established for the church when the Father lifted Jesus up. Woo! Hallelujah. Now, this is obviously identifying not a sick, anemic church with all kinds of pollution and defilement. That's just hoping, hoping that maybe today, today will be the catching up of the saints and we can finally get out of here because we can hardly hold on any longer and we're all so defeated and so miserable that, Lord, come quickly. Well, this to me is looking like the glorious church, a church that Christ shed his blood to purchase of overcomers, of those who are more than conquerors. Praise the Lord. Look, there's mighty authority coming to the end time church. Oh, Pastor Stephen, the government and the prime ministers and presidents and kings, they're the ones in authority. You're going to find out who's in authority when famines hit the land and not even the king can fix the problem. Not even the prime minister can fix the problem. And you have these things that are beyond the human ability to fix. And a human, a prophet, such as Elijah says, hey, it's not raining for three more years. Get ready and enjoy it. You want to live in your sin and think you're so big and bad and think you're above God? Well, let's just see what you're going to do. It's not raining for three years. And nobody can fix it. And only one guy on the whole planet has the key. And God's raising up prophets that will declare words that will cause kings and prime ministers to tremble, to tremble, and to realize they're not so much in control like they thought they were. Mm, mm, mm. God's going to humiliate proud flesh. And he's going to humiliate the proud flesh of businessmen who think they're God. And God's going to shake them in ways that many, many will have their entire wealth shifted within 48 hours. Mm -mm. And then, of course, you know, if they don't have that wealth, they don't have that, that leverage, nobody cares about them. But, you know, God, God loves people. He's really working on hearts. He's really working on hearts right now that people will do the right thing. Glory to God, because we're going to see consequences come for actions because of the glory. The glory is coming back into the church. Praise God. Thank you, Lord Jesus, today. Praise the Lord. Now, let's look at another scripture that will continue to bring clarity of where your address on the earth is at. Mm-hmm. Ephesians chapter 3. Let's go to verse 10. Ephesians 3, verse, uh, well, verse, verse 9. Ephesians 3, verse 9. And Paul says that there is this declaring of the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Jesus Christ to the intent. Here's God's purpose that now, not when we all get to heaven, that now look, God's going to have a mature church. Scripture identifies it as the sons of God. Those that can literally work in tandem with God to carry out the purposes and directives of God upon the earth. 
Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. To the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church, that's you and I, to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. Praise God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. The wisdom received through meditation upon God's word, the wisdom received through prayer in the secret place, affecting the way that we think, affecting how we make our decisions. Let me read this verse to you in a couple of different translations. I want to look particularly at the amplified version, praise God, as this wisdom of God, this manifold wisdom of God can come to you from many, many different angles. The Amplified Bible says the purpose is that through the church, the many-sided wisdom of God in all its infinite variety and innumerable aspects might now be made known to the angelic rulers and authorities the principalities and powers in the heavenly sphere. And he's going to display this wisdom through the church. Now, here's the, let me go down to the uh, Wiest translation. Wiest was a Greek scholar, and he would translate with depth. So listen to his translation of verse 10 from a Greek scholar. In order that there might be made known now to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places through the intermediate agency of the church, the much variegated wisdom of God. Mm, 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 mm. This is the complex wisdom of God. But here's Barclay's translation. It was kept secret up till now in order that now the many-colored wisdom of God should be made known through the church to the rulers and powers in the heavenly places. Now, God is giving you the ability to reveal his multifaceted wisdom to angels and also to those on the side of the enemy. Most theologians believe that this Reference to these powers refers not only to the angelic realm, the holy angels, but especially to those on the losing side. Praise the Lord. Now, for example, you have the ability to reveal God's wisdom to angels through the subject, for example, of grace. You know, angels can't be saved. They can study scriptures about grace, God's saving grace, but it's not something that they can ever personally experience. But by looking at you in your life, not when you get to heaven, while you're down here on earth, suddenly you have become the professor. And now they're the students in theology school, and they're looking at your life. And by looking at your life, your personal angels and perhaps others, they say, you know what? I'm really beginning to start to understand this concept of grace. Wow. When I look at their life and I see God's grace, I'm starting to get it. Mm -mm. So you are displaying that wisdom to the angels. But you also have the 
principalities and powers, and you're displaying to them, oh my, that their doom is sealed, that their eternal fate has already been decided, and it's only a matter of time before they're all thrown into the lake of fire that burns with fire and brimstone. And here's an amazing verse from 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Paul said, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew. For had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Satan, with all of his knowledge and his cunningness, and all of his advisory team, all of the fallen angels, the various archangels that collapsed and fell and were booted out of heaven with him, and his multitudes of myriad uh, other evil spirits, none of them, not one, not even Satan himself, knew the plan of what God was doing. They didn't understand that when Jesus came to earth, they didn't know that this is actually a second Adam. That's what Paul called Christ. He was like a second Adam. The first Adam came and blew it and sinned and allowed sin to come into the human race and allowed the curse of the law to inflict all humanity. But Christ came in a sense like a second Adam coming in and he's going to win it all back, not as God, but as a man. Yes, he is God and man, a divine mystery, both at the same time. But he's laying the power down, and he's going to compete fairly as a man. He's not like an Olympic cheater who's trying to cross the finish line, who's doped up, <laughs> who's on anabolic steroids or on, you know, EPO or all these uh, uh, high-tech designer drugs that, you know, they try to cheat with and stuff like that. Jesus is playing by the rules. It was lost by a man. It's going to take a man to win it back. So Jesus lays down the God power. He has to operate as a man anointed by the spirit and he's going to win it back. And he did praise God. And the devil just couldn't figure it out. <laughs> he could never figure this thing out because if, if he knew that killing Christ was part of that plan, he never would have done it because by dying, by dying, Jesus was completing the purpose of being a sinless sacrifice that can now bridge lost humanity back to God. Mm, the plan is just brilliant. <laughs> Look, Satan is not as smart as you think he is. He is a flesh devil. He has to work in this area of the flesh realm. And I'm sure he still has you know, certain technological insight, you know, he's, he's the one, I mean, he was the master musician. He's the one that can release, uh, to willing subjects, willing to serve him and give their soul to him. He can release tunes and sounds and music that the world goes, Oh, Oh, we, we love all of that, but he's still limited. And still in a sense, so much of that is still on a low level of a carnal level. You can bypass all of that by getting in the spirit of worship. You can blow past that, so fast that you look at that stuff and laugh. It's all overrated. Praise the Lord. The moment you get in the glory, you hear that stuff, you realize, oh, that's so earthly. Man, we can blow past that so quick. <laughs> Woo, glory to God. And he can't get back to what he lost 
He'll never get back. So again, again, it says that had for had they known that Satan and all of his uh, uh, losing uh, associates, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Praise God. Mm-mm. So, my friends, God wants to reveal his multifaceted wisdom through you to angels, to principalities, and uh, all of these evil forces that would think they could try to keep you messed up, but yet you keep operating in the Word of God, overcoming and overcoming. And they think they've got you tangled up or tied up and you get in the word and you get more covenant solutions. You keep walking in the word and you boom, you, you freedom and freedom and increase and increase. And what's it saying to the enemy it's saying you've lost Christ has conquered you and his victory has become our victory. And we're moving forward and the gates of hell will not prevail against a church ever, ever. They'll never prevail. Never. Hallelujah. We're not going to compromise. We're not going to quit. We're going to stay living in our residence of where God says, this is where you live. And so your third key of your residence is Ephesians chapter three, verse 10. Mm, 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 mm. Now let's talk just for a moment. This word multifaceted, the multifaceted wisdom of God, multifaceted means most varied. So highly, super highly, actually the most highly varied wisdom there is. And it can be available in any field, in any calling, in any place that God has assigned you to. And in the Greek, the original literal meaning of multifaceted actually is multicolored. And it means marked with a great variety of colors, such as in a painting. And again, I want to go back. I want to read the Barclay translation to you of Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10. It says that it was kept secret up till now in order that now the many colored wisdom of God. So he's pulling from a literal translation. The many colored wisdom of God should be made known through the church to the rulers and powers in the heavenly places. And you're basically saying, devil, you can't hold me down. Devil, you, you, have, you can launch your temptations. You can launch this and that. But God has made provision in every single way and in every single place, regardless of where you live on the earth. You can't say, well, it won't work here because we have these uh, various circumstances. But when you're seated with Christ, you start getting wisdom solutions to overcome the obstacles that you face right where you live and they'll work. They'll work. Mm-mm. That light affecting the way you think, affecting the decisions you make. And as you rule and reign with Christ in that seated place in the heavenly realms, suddenly you start making right decisions. And suddenly former, former goofy, foolish, dare we even say, stupid things that we've done in the past, those things get kept in the past and you're not the same person anymore. You don't even think the same way that you used to think 15 years. You're totally different person. You're not even like that old person. Yes, it's still you. You still have your same spirit, your same personality, your same, your same uniqueness, the same you. But as far as your mind and what God's wisdom 
has done for your mind because you know your residence, you know where you live at, you know your lofty place in Christ. Hallelujah. There's been a great transformation and it affects dramatically the way you live your life on the earth in this life right now, the physical life right now. Praise the Lord. Very quickly, go with me to Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1 through 3. We see here listed the seven spirits of God or the seven attributes of the Holy Spirit. Now, keep in mind that God's wisdom in the literal Greek, it's multifaceted, multicolored. Mm-mm. And we have the seven spirits of the Lord listed. Verse 2. First of all, picture this as the menorah, the sinner shaft, the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. So these are the seven anointings that came upon Christ. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. So there are your seven spirits of the Lord, but they are also represented by various colors and that would in, that would be the colors of the rainbow because the rainbow represents the covenant and over the throne of God is this phenomenal glorious beautiful rainbow you know in heaven there in the throne room area sometimes christians think well i guess god sits on the throne for a while and then after the day's over he goes to his house you have to understand that for the father and the Son, and the Spirit, the throne of God, that throne is God the Father's house. He, he doesn't have like a, like a house somewhere, you know, like a nice French chateau or something. No, he doesn't have, he doesn't have that. That throne is his house. He, that's, that's, the, that's where God's at all the time, God the Father. Now, Jesus, he can walk out of that glory. He can walk from his throne, and he can go into the heavenly city, or he can come to the earth and appear to somebody in a vision. But God the Father, that is his house, the throne. He's there all the time. Ooh, thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Mm-hmm. Woo, I want to come back in just a moment to these seven colors. There's a distinct color associated with each um, anointing of the Spirit. But this throne room thing of God and this seated with Christ, my friends, it's so... It Not only is it laid out in Scripture, it's just... It's just real. And as you walk with the Lord, as you walk in prayer and walk close to the Lord, the reality of this place is phenomenal. There have been times I went, I had a, I had a session about, it was about 14 years ago, where for about three months, it was about 90 days straight, I was caught up every day into the throne room area. And I actually, there was one area where I saw the, the throne that the Lord has for me, that when my life is finished, there is a throne that he already has for me. And he allowed, he's, he's already allowed me to sit on it a few times when I've been caught up. <laughs> oh, Pastor Stephen, that's very interesting. Well, technically in Christ, we're seated with him right now. And so this, this reality can be, how can I say, more fully grasped when you meditate on it? Or should the Lord grant visions and insight into this? I'll go even a little bit further. Here is a, here's a testimony. I'm going to read a little bit of it to you from a, from a prophet in Singapore who was caught up to heaven in a vision and was allowed, you ready for this one? 
was allowed to sit on the Lord Jesus' throne. Now, he's seated. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. So the Father is always on his throne. And I've actually, I've actually had one experience where the Father allowed me to sit on the throne with him because he pulled me into himself. And I sat in his lap on his throne. Woo! Mind-blowing experience. I should actually, if I'm going to be accurate, I should call it, it was actually a deep healing experience. You know, when I was raised, you know, at home and stuff like that, my dad, he was a good man and he worked a good job, sometimes worked two jobs. So there would be enough, you know, money for food, clothes and stuff, things like that for me and my brothers. But my father grew up on a farm in rural Mississippi. So he didn't have a lot of love and his father, who would of course been my grandfather, was kind of like a, a you know, he was just a farmer, uh, and he just didn't communicate very much. He'd always kind of grumpy. So my dad grew up in a staunch, kind of cold home environment, and that was kind of carried over in my upbringing, where my father rarely showed emotion, and if there, if it wasn't any emotion, it was, sometimes it was anger. <laughs> You know, there's never anything to be excited about. So we didn't really know, me and my brothers didn't really know a lot of joy. But when I was caught up to heaven, uh, I was, um, let's see, I was well into my 30s. And at that time, well into my 30s, I had never once ever heard my natural earthly father ever say, Stephen, I love you. He never said, I love you. He never had told me that. And it didn't mean that he didn't. It's just that that was something that was a blockage in him. He didn't tell my brothers either. He just didn't. He did. He didn't do that. He was very stern, very serious, and uh, didn't understand anything about the joy of the Lord. But when I was in heaven and I was sitting on the lap of Almighty God in a vision, I was caught up to heaven. I actually heard the Heavenly Father speak three words to me that just woo. He said, "I love you." And it was the first time I ever heard that said to me. Uh, and I knew my Heavenly Father loved me, but He said it. And it just it brought a rush of healing and joy unspeakable woo, into my life. Hallelujah. Mm-mm. The Lord is good. The Lord is good. Praise God. I told that story to my grandchildren. Uh, one's about four. The other, I think, is about seven. And when I finished telling that story about when I was taken to heaven, uh, my little, the littlest grandson said, he said, Grandpa Stephen, that is the most beautiful story I have ever heard in my life. <laughs> I, thought, I thought that was so sweet. Praise God. Now, let me jump back now to the prophet in Singapore. And he had actually been praying for years for a throne room encounter. So he had been praying for, I think it was about nine years. Now think about that. For nine years, he prayed. He's a spirit-filled believer. So he believed in these types of things, but he finally had it happen after nine years of praying. He said, after weeping before the throne room for some time, and he's weeping because of joy and the glory. He said, Jesus stepped out from his throne and invited me to sit on it. I replied, Lord, I, I, and he said, a sense of awe filled me. 
not of an unwillingness to disobey him, but it was like saying, this is more than I could take. And that, that, so that's why he was like, Lord, are you sure I can do this? It was that type of experience. And he said, I knew what the word of God says in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 7, which, of course, we've been talking about this morning, where it says, we are seated in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. But this is heaven, and you do not simply sit on God's throne. But he, Jesus, held my hand and placed me on his throne. I'm, look, I'm deliberately trying to shatter and break for some of you that have been stuck in denominational teaching, I, I'm trying to break this mindset of pie in the sky in the by and by. And when we finally get there, then we'll have all of this. I'm trying to tell you now, you have a spiritual inheritance. And by receiving that and walking in that, it dramatically affects the way you live your life on the earth. Let's go further. Mm-mm. But he held my hand and placed me on his throne. This was what it was like to sit on the throne of God. The past, present, and the future disappear. It was like a position you entered into where everything in the past and everything in the future is just like the present. There is no time. You do not feel it. And everything that God has spoken from the throne through the prophets that spoke and what Jesus said while he was on the earth will come to pass. There was an awareness that Jesus and the Father need not to lift one finger to make the word of God come to pass. The power and impact of the spoken word of God, even if it was spoken ages ago, was so powerful. You could feel the awesome power of it in heaven and on the throne seat of Jesus. You could know the spoken word of God has come to pass or would come to pass. There was an awareness that it was done, completed, and finished. The consciousness of that power that emanated on the throne of Jesus that could cause the fulfillment of the spoken word of God was acute. Woo! Praise God. I mean, after all, he is the word, right? Before he ever came to earth from eternity past, he was known God's son. The second person of the deity was known as the word. And he is the one that said, light be, boom, and call forth planets and star systems and created this world. Hallelujah. And he invites you and I to co-create and co-work and co-rule and co-reign with him. And as we endeavor to do the best we can with the assignments, I would even call them perhaps on the grand scale, simple assignments that he asked us to engage with him concerning, that I believe that as, as we are effective in that, it qualifies us to rule and reign with him on a greater level, on a greater scale for such events as the millennial reign, and even out beyond that, whoo, praise God, when even Satan himself is finally thrown into the lake of fire, and then we roll into eternity. Glory to God. Praise the Lord. And my friends, at that point, things, of course, will be very, very exciting. This place is very real. These thrones are very real. The throne room is very real. This was about, this was maybe about, let's see, I'm trying to get some dates right now. This was close to maybe eight years ago 
when I was at the home of Dr. Wade Taylor. And I was staying a few nights with him, and he lived in Washington, D.C., so I would just drive from Moravian Falls, North Carolina, up to D.C., been there many times. It takes about five hours. Uh, the, the only challenging thing, of course, is when you get there, you're trying to find a place to park. <laughs> and I, I, you have a big pickup truck, so I'm, it was always difficult, but I'd get a permit, uh, and then I could park somewhere. And then the rest of the time, uh, never, never move the truck. Just, you know, everything's around you. So Wade and I would just walk places, but he was in his eighties at that time, but we would talk and we would talk late into the night, uh, two lazy boy recliners. He'd sit in one, I sit in the other, a face at each other, just talking and talking to one o'clock, two o'clock in the morning <laughs> about visions, supernatural experiences, revivals. He's been in the glory encounters he's had. And, uh, and friends that he's known, and he's also uh, telling me stories about friends. And uh, if it got real late into the night, he would say, um, Stephen, you just go, go sleep in my bed. I'm just going to fall asleep in the uh, recliner. And he put the recliner back, just totally fall asleep. <laughs> We'd always take communion just before we wrapped it all up. Then I'd go to his bedroom and just fall asleep in his bed. And um, we, had the, we had the funnest times. But we were talking one time about... Um, uh, the reality of the throne room and uh, the, this whole reality of being able to go up, connecting with our inheritance in Christ. And we were talking about a situation. Bob told me, uh, excuse me, Wade told me another story about Bob Jones. And Wade had quite a few stories himself. Uh, but we would talk about many different prophets. We would share our own stories. As it says in Proverbs, as iron sharpens iron, so does one man sharpen another. So there's just sharpening going on. By the way, this is what prophets do when they get together. You're, you're talking about stuff like this. You're trying to get further illumination on the scriptures and uh, experiences that flow with those scripture foundations. So Wade told me about a minister that he knew. He personally knew this particular minister, and this minister was a well-known minister, and Wade and he were friends. He was an older man, and they knew each other. Now, Wade said this minister came to him and explained to him that he had a vision and that he was taken to heaven. And in this vision, while he was taken to heaven, he was taken to the area of heaven of the throne room. Now remember, heaven's gigantic. Uh, it makes New York City look like a little bitty uh, country town. Okay, so heaven's enormous, but it all is centered around the main thing, and that's God on the throne there at the throne room. So this minister is taken to the throne room in heaven, and while he's there in the throne room, he sees all kinds of people. He sees redeemed saints. He sees angels. He sees cherubim, and he sees some that are being caught up from the earth. Their spirits are being caught up, and they are doing things in heaven, and he said, I saw, I saw the prophet Bob Jones there. Now, this was when Bob, of course, was still alive, and he said, I saw the prophet Bob Jones there in the throne room talking to Jesus. And he said, I thought that was the most unusual thing. And, um, and so anyhow, so for this minister, this was kind of like all new to him, all of this stuff. And so he, he was allowed to experience certain things. And then his spirit returns back to earth. The vision fades out and he's back on earth. Well, this minister told Wade 
that about a month later, it's about three weeks or a month later, he went to a conference. It was a prophetic conference, and Bob Jones was one of the speakers. And so after that session was over, this minister is going back to his hotel room, and he happens to be going through the hallway towards the hotel room right at the same time where somehow he and Bob Jones intersected because they're they're moving Bob around too to get him back to the room or something like that. So anyhow, they kind of ran into each other, crossed paths in the hallway, and but they never had met ever in their in their physical lives. And when they when they crossed paths, Bob Jones stopped and said, "Just a minute, I I know you from somewhere. I've seen you somewhere before." Oh, that's right. I saw you in the throne room about three weeks ago. And that man was like, he told Wade Taylor, he said, I can't, he said, I could hardly believe it. He said, this, this reality of this realm of being seated with Christ is more real than I have ever realized. My friends, it is. Sometimes I, I get amongst certain pastors and I try to try to start wading into this a little bit with them. I can tell they're just as lost there, as far as this is like a realm that's almost like you, you might as well go watch Star Wars or something. They, they cannot go there. <laughs> Why? Usually uh, they don't have much of a prayer life. They just, <laughs> and also don't have much of an interest in it. But I'll tell you, you get around those that are hungry, that have gotten the taste of it, and you start talking or you start engaging. It starts opening up. It starts opening it up, and it is not unusual at all boom, to go up. <laughs> right in the middle of a conversation. Right in the middle of a conversation. Woo! Glory to God. Let's jump back to uh, the colors real quick. I need to wrap this up this morning. Praise God. I, I'm just trying to give you. I'm going to give you one more key. Your fourth key of knowing where your residence is, where you're supposed to live at. <laughs> Whether it's Texas or it's New Guinea. Praise God. Now listen to me. Isaiah 11. We have the seven. Spirits of the Lord. Again, the Spirit of the Lord, Spirit of wisdom, Spirit of understanding, Spirit of counsel, might, knowledge, fear of the Lord. Okay, here's the colors. Because the wisdom of God is multifaceted, it's also literally in the Greek, it's multicolored. The Spirit of the Lord is represented by the color white. The center shaft of the menorah, the Spirit of the Lord Himself, is represented by the color white because all colors, if you merge them all together, form the one wavelength color of white. And uh, all color specialists know that. Uh, white is the consummation of all of the colors of the rainbow. So the Spirit of the Lord is represented Himself as the color white. The Spirit of wisdom is represented by the color red. And red, by the way, is the longest wavelength color. The spirit of understanding is represented with the color of yellow. And the spirit of counsel is the color of green. The spirit of might is the color of royal blue. The spirit of knowledge fades to a softer blue, a color of what we could call indigo blue. And the spirit of the fear of the Lord is that of the beautiful color purple. Praise God. Mm-mm. Pastor Stephen, where should I live? In a place of color. Hallelujah. In a place of great wisdom. In a place where your life as a, as a member of the body of Christ is instructing angels, is proclaiming things to the enemy. You're defeated. 
Christ's victory is my victory. And he is working through me to enforce your defeat. And all of the enemies of the Lord will be put beneath his feet through the triumphant church. Not a weak beggarly church that's looking for a government handout. Praise the Lord. Woo. Glory to God. We are the church. We are the, we are the ones with the solutions. Hallelujah. And as we continue to move along towards the, the, the deeper levels of the end time events, there will be unsolvable problems in the earth. But the church, the church will continue to shine brighter and brighter because we will be the ones that the glory is resting upon. And that glory also is a symbol of the wisdom that we're walking in. Remember, Jesus said wisdom is justified by her children. Anytime you're walking in true wisdom, true wisdom of God, there's going to be children. In other words, there's going to be proofs in your life that what you live by, what you proclaim, and what you decree is actually working for you. Mm -mm -mm. And for those where things are not going good, it, it is just a proof that's saying, hey, we have the solution. Praise God. It's found in Christ. All of the wisdom is in Christ. All of it is in Christ. And Christ is the personification of the wisdom and power of God. Mm-mm. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Cosmic forces are watching you because you are displaying the multicolored, multifaceted wisdom of God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I see you sitting in your high in lofty place. As you sit there, the mind of Christ begins to flow through you. The mind of Christ, the most brilliant person whoever walked to the face of the earth that would make Einstein and Solomon look stupid, look like they know nothing because all they knew were elementary things. They were ahead of most people, but Jesus, mm, he's God and all wisdom is in him. And as we sit with him in this high place and receive that anointing and meditate on his word, not from a defeated position, but from a, from, but from a position of we're above it. So, Lord, there must be a covenant solution. There must be supernatural strength. There much, must be your empowerment. It will flow, and it flows as you're in that position. This is a time when God is raising up mighty, mighty champions in the church mm -mm, to move forward and to work with him through co-reigning with him, carrying out his assignments, carrying them out at all cost through the wisdom of God. And with God's wisdom, you're going to get it done. Say yes. Praise the Lord. Lift your hands because I see the colors of the heavenly rainbow coming to you right now. Father, I just release the anointing of your spirit, the anointing of wisdom. And we thank you, Father God, for the 
multifaceted wisdom flowing. We thank you, Father, for, for the Spirit of the Lord. We thank you for the colors of the, of the wisdom, understanding, counsel, might, knowledge, fear of the Lord. We thank you, Father God, for the release of your color. Thank you, Father God, that our lives are to be colorful, joyful, fulfilling, satisfying, living in the overflow. Thank you, Father God, living in victory, publicly and privately. Thank you, Father, for your anointing. Thank you, Father God. Thank you, Father God. There will be whole nations one for you. And when it's all said and done, we will know which are the sheep nations, which are the goat nations. Thank you, Father God. We give you praise. We give you glory. We are working to win nations for you. Father, we give you praise. We give you glory. We thank you for your wisdom flowing right now, right now, to carry out and to complete assignments on this earth, on this earth, on this earth. I thank you, Father God, that right now we're seated with Christ in these heavenly realms. We thank you. We believe it. We receive it. We walk in it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Right where you're sitting right now, you're seated in that heavenly place. Woo! Praise the Lord. Amen. Glory to God. Glory to God. Now, if you're watching today's program, and you're not seated with Christ, you're not born again, you can get your life right with God right now. You don't have to wait another day. You don't have to wait another moment. As a matter of fact, this is what you've been waiting for all of your life. So take advantage of what Christ has done by paying the penalty for your sin and my sin through his death upon the cross and through his mighty resurrection. Those that put their faith and trust in him receive his eternal life into their hearts. If you would like to receive Christ, pray this prayer right now. Say, Jesus, I'm a sinner, but you died to save sinners like me. Jesus, come into my heart. Wash all of my sin away. Write my name in your book of life. I take you now as my Lord and Savior. Jesus, step into my life, and from this day forward, lead me and guide me in all that I do. Jesus, in your name I pray. Amen. And amen. Praise God. You now belong to Jesus. Now, live for him with all of your heart. God's got great things planned for you. Praise the Lord. My friends, let's take Holy Communion together. I want to invite you to grab some unleavened bread and grab some grape juice. Mm, 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 mm. Praise the Lord, the spirit of wisdom all over your mind, all over your thought processes. Mm, mm. Wisdom and insight into the knowledge of Jesus. Mm, mm. Whoo, praise the Lord. There is a place in God you know exactly what to do. You're not getting on the phone calling everybody. What should I do? What should I do? There is a place in the Lord where you sit in that elevated place by faith and his wisdom just flows into you and you know exactly what to do. 
Praise God. I see you walking in this wisdom. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the bread and the juice. We consecrate it through this prayer. We bless it. We thank you that this is now the flesh and the blood of Christ, our Savior. Hallelujah. We thank you that this world is not our home. We're just a passing through. <laughs> but while we're here, we are here to rule and reign with you and to carry out your plan, your initiatives, your assignments at all costs and to get them done. And with your wisdom, we thank you that we will. Thank you, Father, and that the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the earth. We thank you, Father God. We thank you, Father God, that while many Christians are looking to go up, in other words, to get out by the rapture, instead of just looking to go up, you're looking for sons and daughters who want to grow up and come up into their heavenly place and rule and reign with you. Thank you, Father. Thank you for this mighty invitation. Thank you that it affects the way that we govern our lives on the earth, the way we conduct ourselves. We give you praise. Father, thank you for the flesh of Jesus. As we receive his flesh, we receive the mind of Christ in his name. Amen. Let's partake together. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. Father, thank you for the blood of Jesus as we receive his blood. We ask that if we have committed any sins, we ask that you would forgive us right now of all sin and that you would cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thank you. Thank you, Father. And Father, we forgive anybody, anyone who has sinned against us. We forgive them, we bless them, and we move on. And Father, we pray that you would lead us away from temptation. And we pray that you would deliver us from the evil one. Thank you, Father. Thank you. We thank you that your angels are protecting us. We thank you for your hedge of protection round about our lives. And Father, we receive the precious blood of Jesus now as we are seated with him in the heavenly realms. Amen. Let's receive. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Glory to the Lord. Glory to the Lord. Now, never forget where you live at. Never forget your residence. You have a dual citizenship. Maybe you hold an American passport. Maybe you have a title deed and you live here uh, in a certain state in a certain house. And you have your driver's license with a residence on there. But never forget that your greatest identification of where you live is in the heavenly realms, seated with Christ far above all of the enemy stuff. Praise the Lord. And that is our primary residence. Heavenly Father, bless your people. We thank you for your word producing the 100-fold return of righteousness, peace, and joy in our lives. In Jesus' name, we have prayed. Amen. Thanks for watching. I'll see you back next time.